0: Well, welcome back to out here in the middle podcast, and uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a lonely road today in the fact that I have no guests and uh, and I don't really know what to do with my hands. I'm just sitting here looking around the room, and it's just me and the awesome uh, marketing team from Chaffee, But at the same time, we thought that it would be really good for you guys to get a picture of who I am and who we are as a company, and in the direction that we're looking to go, not only with our podcast but where we're headed. With our company and and why we got here. So I just wanted to take a couple quick seconds to uh, to reach out to one of our sponsors and say thanks. Walls Outdoor Goods has been a longtime spo- uh, supporter of mine, and, and now they're one of our main sponsors here on the out here in the middle podcast. Uh, I personally prefer their ditch digger pants. They are absolutely amazing. And the fact that uh, if you're like me and you've got that dad bod rocking pretty hard, your ability to move and groove, your your pants will stay where they're supposed to. You're not going to have them uh, marching up somewhere or sagging down somewhere where you don't want them. The nice thing about Walls is you can go to Walls.com and they deliver door to door. And if you're out here in the middle, just like we are, you don't have to worry about that getting out here. So if you're going to update your wardrobe, go to Walls.com. Tell them Jay sent you. Another one of our awesome sponsors is Big Frig Coolers. You know, it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about it, you're in your garage or in the truck of your car, or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig Cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking for something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping the company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. I've got my J Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it horns rubbed all over it it still looks absolutely amazing go to bigfrig.com they've got all kinds of awesome things this podcast is sponsored by Chafe, a world-class alfalfa Chafe is grown in the shadows of the guadalupe mountains the highest peak in the state of texas our unique climate offers cool nights warm days and allows us to grow some of the finest forage on the face of the planet for more information about Chafe, please visit www.chaffa.com I can't tell you how many times I've had people reach out to me on social media asking, Hey, Jay, I want to become a farmer, or I just bought some acreage. I want to get into agriculture. Where do I start? And so, what I thought is I would kind of give you a run through what my life has looked like over the past 36 years. How did we get to where we are today? And and what's the picture look like as we're going forward? Uh, Hopefully, we've got a couple guys that are going to be coming in here shortly and they're going to be able to ask some questions. But at the same time, my story is pretty interesting in the fact that I started in a tractor tire sandbox. And if you guys ever listened to me speak in front of people, I always tell this story that my love and passion for agriculture started uh, in a rear tire off of a John Deere 4020. Uh, 18, 442, I think is what the size of that tractor tire was. And my dad filled it up with uh, play sand and it was behind our barn. And when I say our barn, I grew up in southern New Mexico, just south of Las Cruces on 10 acres. And my dad was working for a technical school company and my mom was uh, stay at home. And then she worked some in town as a secretary. And I just remember always wanting to be outside. And I remember I always wanted to be someplace close to machinery. And on that 10 acres, we had neighbors that grew cotton and lettuce. and, And I saw some onions and all kinds of different vegetables. Pecans weren't really a big thing. I mean, there were some, but there was not a lot in the Mesilla Valley in those days. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I've got to be able to figure out a way that I can take this 10 acres and I can grow it into something else. I know that I, uh, you know, I know that God is calling me to be a farmer. I know that this is the direction that I want to go. At the same time, I'm sitting there looking at it as we have a John Deere 4020 tractor and we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We've got a little bit of alfalfa. We've got an old uh, New Holland baler, wire tie baler. And I remember growing up getting to hang out on the fender of that 4020 tractor and just talking to my dad and talking to a guy that used to come help us, Manuel Latunas, and, and just wanting to know more about agriculture. As I grew up and as I grew out of the sandbox, uh, I, I began to tinker with different kind of mechanics when it came to, you know, tearing a lawnmower apart and things like that. And if you want to know who I truly am, I'm ADD, I'm dyslexic. And if it is a fine tuned thing that I need to do, if it is a mechanical problem that I need to solve, that is where I am not going to excel. I am the type of person that would love to tear an engine apart, but can't tell you where anything went or how it went together. And and so with that craziness, I remember like it was yesterday talking to my dad about what what's going to happen to this 10 acres? What can we do? And at at 16, I said Dad, I want to make a plan. I want to start farming this. I want to do something more with this property. And, uh, and he knew a guy in, in the produce business and he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I would love to grow onions. He said, well, why, why do you want to grow onions? And I said, well, it seems to me like all the vegetable farmers always have a new pickup, so they're making money. So I would like to get into a business that made money. I don't, I don't want to do this just for fun. And, uh, and so after some, some interesting talks and things like that. We'd agreed that we would grow some, some onions and we had to secure the money to make sure that we had enough money to do it. And we put in 10 acres of onions. And I can remember I had a Walkman with a Waylon Jennings tape that was stuck in the Walkman and I would get home from school and I would grab my hoe and I was out in that 10 acre onion patch, walking those rows with my Waylon Jennings tape on and just thinking, how amazing it is to be out here. Uh, and that, and it's strange because you think about it, it's it's manual labor, you're bent over, you're picking up weeds. I'd already gone to school, already gone to football, you'd done all of those kind of things. And I still had this energy to be out in the field. And I loved it so much that I did not want to do. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to have that that struggle of sitting in a classroom where I knew that my mind was like a ping pong ball in a concrete box where it's just bouncing around the entire time and I wanted to do something. So I would get home and I would get my hoe and my file, throw on my my favorite, well, the only tape that I could listen to at the time, and I'd hoe onions. And I remember after about three months of having to walk back through that field, I was getting to the point where I was like, this, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, onions are an interesting crop. And the fact that we planted these in September... And as they start the growing process, you'll have a small flush of weeds that you can usually clean up with a a herbicide. In those days, we used to actually spray a type of acid down on top of baby onions, and it would clean up all of the mustard. The onions really didn't move, and they still, when we plant in September, the crop doesn't move very fast. And so after it emerges and comes out of the ground, you don't see a whole lot of plant growth all the way through the winter. Until about the end of February, the crop is probably a max of six inches tall. And so I just remember going through and picking up all those weeds and chopping weeds and irrigating and learning about fertilizer and and trying to figure out how to make that onion crop progress. I just remember I I got to a point in life where I was just feeling kind of down. And I thought, man, maybe this is not the right direction that I wanted to go. Maybe I really didn't want to be a farmer. I'm 16 years old, but at the same time, and actually then I was 15 years old and I'm thinking, you know what, I had this huge plan, right? Like, why doesn't it, why, why, why isn't this crop already ready to go and, and why am I not so successful already? And just trying to push the boundaries of growing a single crop. And as I remember as spring break came and all my friends and families were running off to go do something, I remember that I was there with my Wayland Jennings tape and I was I was hoeing weeds on the ditch and I thought, this is why I was here. I was looking at these onions start to to get bigger and they were starting to bulb. The market conditions at the time were horrible. Didn't know what we were going to do as far as selling the crop. Didn't know what we were going to do as far as harvesting the crop. Um, And it took a storm in Baja to come up and wreck the Arizona and California crop. And I remember hearing the news that the onion market was starting to go up on the rise. And I just remembered thinking, man, this, this might be a little bit more fun than I really thought. And the crop is getting bigger and it's progressing and I'm sitting there to myself saying, if I can just get this crop all the way to the finish line, I know I'm going to be able to make some money. And that was the hook line and sinker. We got the crop all the way to the finish line. We got it to the shed and, uh, and we got the check back. And I thought, Holy cow, there is something to this. Um, not only was it just satisfying to know that nine months, almost 10 months of hard work came to fruition, but at the same time, the the time that I got to spend in that field and the time that I got to understand how that crop grew were so instrumental. We leased the neighbor's farm the next year and, uh, and actually had some cash. At that time, my brother Ross uh, was working at a packing shed an hour and 15 minutes from our house, and he was uh, retiring. He was going to go work on a drilling crew. And, uh, and he said, Hey, why don't you come to work with me one day? If you like it, I bet you can get my job. And so I went up there and started working for this, this family that was uh, a produce brokerage. And my job was to assist the forklift driver, um, by stacking different bags on top of pallets. And then at the same time, I would go back and, uh, do the bill of lading and organize when the truck would come in and get loaded and and sent out. And my job started at four o'clock in the afternoon and it ended somewhere between two thirty and four o'clock in the morning. And then I would drive an hour and 15 minutes home, uh, catch up on some sleep. And, uh, and then I got hired by the, this family's mom that actually had a farm and she taught me how to cut hay. And so then I used to go home and I would sleep for three or four hours and then I would drive all the way back up and I would get on a old New Holland dispine and, uh, Cut alfalfa or a haybine, excuse me, and cut alfalfa for four to five hours until it was four o'clock. And I would check in for my night job and I would load trucks. And there were so many experiences of actually working in the field, loading in those days we were using a lot of gunny sacks. And so we would have ninety pounds of onions in a gunny sack. And when you're harvesting onions, you want to make sure that you cut the root off and you want to cut the top off and then you put it in the bag and it would sit in this gunny sack and it would cure. and it was just a coffee bag, is what it is, a gigantic burlap bag and we'd put them in rows and then we'd just let them cure in the sun and the wind. And if it rained, then you had to go out and you had to grab every single one of those sacks and you had to turn them and we had to put them on a dry ground. And so it was me and a a bunch of the workers out in the fields. And I just remember I I must've weighed 120 pounds, 130 pounds. And I was in the best shape of my life. I was six foot. I looked like Gumby, six foot tall, 130 pounds. Uh, I was bronze tanned and loved every minute of getting to work outside and work with those guys. And then when I would get to go back to work at the shed, I just loved the forklift drivers. I loved the company. I loved the family. And it was just one of those things that it started to teach me uh, of where I want to go. Meanwhile, the whole time, any money that was made, I was trying to get my dad to invest with me in more property. We uh, we were working a, a somewhat partnership over a handshake agreement with a with a family, and we were uh, that was selling our onions, and so we continued to grow different things and onions and lettuce, and we did some cabbage, and we've we, we've tried all of these different things along the line. Uh, meanwhile, Dad and I were were purchasing bits of farmland around around southern New Mexico and just trying to put some things together. And uh, about the age of nineteen, I had graduated high school. I was going to college and uh, I'm a horrible student. So if if you think about my ADD, if you think about my dyslexia, now go ahead and put me into a college classroom where I'm surrounded by good looking women, uh, a professor that talks way more monotone than I do. And the fact that I have to retain something that he or she is saying while still trying to plan where we were going to go dance that night. And so it's just not a good combination for people like me. And so as I'm I'm looking back into those days, I now understand why my grades sucked so bad. Uh, I hated going to class. I just didn't want to do, I didn't want to do homework. I'd rather hang out with people and really be more than hang out with people. I just wanted to be on the farm. I wanted to be in the office. I wanted to understand how that worked. And I was starting to get a real taste of money. My dad calls one day and says, guess what? You're moving to Lordsburg, New Mexico. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, me and some guys have, have gone in on a farm uh, in Lordsburg, New Mexico. I'm 20 years old. And uh, I think I've got like, I've been in college for two years and I think I've probably got 10 transferable hours and uh, on academic probation. And, uh, and so dad goes, he goes, yeah, we're moving you down the road. You're going two and a half hours out into the middle of nowhere. So I'm now 20 in Lordsburg, New Mexico. And uh, my dad and these guys had, had partnered and bought 3,200 acres of farmland that hadn't been farmed in like 25 years. And uh, somebody had, the the person that had purchased it before us had put some center pivots, irrigation uh, sprinklers. And if you're ever flying over the Midwest and you look down, especially the panhandle of Texas, and you look down from the plane and you see all those little circles, people are always asking, well, why in the world are there circles everywhere? Well, that's the style of irrigation. And so these center pivots have a center point and then they walk around in a big circle and they put water out. And uh, so there was some brand new center pivots that the previous owner had put up, but he had not he had not had enough capital to go ahead and get them running. And so we had bought in the farm kind of in distress mode. And so myself and four guys moved out there and my job was to run the farm and get the irrigation systems up and running. And uh, and the plan was that the chili market had been really bad for a while. The chili market was going to miraculously turn around and we were going to go ahead and plant uh, six circles. Um, those circles were one hundred and seventy five acres a piece, uh, all in chili peppers. If you don't know anything about chili peppers, they are absolutely horrible, um, to grow. That is a crop that you walk out in the morning and you're like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the world. By two o'clock in the afternoon, it's committing plant suicide. Like it wants to kill itself. Anything, any kind of bug wants to eat it. Any kind of animal wants to eat it is absolutely ridiculous. So we plant 900 acres of this stuff. I'm 20 years old. I'm missing school because of the social life. And I'm living at that time, I'm living in a small house in Lordsburg while we're remodeling the house on the farm. I hated living in town so much that I actually ended up moving into the remodeled house before we had running water. And I would go out to the center pivots when we were irrigating and I would take a shower in the morning underneath one of the the center pivots. I had this little mat that I stole from one of the car washes. And uh, and I'm sorry about that. There's a nice little car wash in Lordsburg that you I owe you a rubber mat. Um, but I remember I stole that rubber mat, threw it in the back of my truck, and then I just took all my stuff and had a little milk crate with all of all of my goodies. And I would take a shower underneath that ice cold water in Lordsburg, New Mexico. And that was like in early March, late February. It was cold, uh, but it was just one of those things that finally, when I started farming, I got my mind around it and it was just amazing. It was like one of the greatest things that anybody could have ever put me in charge of. It taught me so much responsibility. It taught me what it was like to run a crew. And at the same time, while I'm trying to become this great farmer, why my mission on life in in life was to be this gigantic farmer that everybody would look up to and think is so you know extraordinary. Here I am 20 years old running, you know, at the end of the day, it was like eight guys in this gigantic farm, and, uh, and it was an utter failure. By the end of the year, uh, the crop looked okay, but we, we, we got a custom picking contract where we were picking chili on the Mexican border with a machine, and as we're down there with this machine, I was not back at the farm, and the farm's crop dried out, and once you get chili too dry, it becomes super brittle, and if you try to pick it with a machine, all of the pods fall off the plant. If the chili pod falls off the plant, the machine can't pick it up, and that goes all of your money. So we ended up having to bring in 250 people to come in and hand pick the entire crop. So whatever profit that we thought we were going to make at the time was instantly gone. And I remember looking back at that and being like, oh my gosh, I had this unbelievable opportunity in front of me. And here I squandered it. Like I, I, I didn't understand the metrics of time and what it meant to under, you know, to, to, to run this farm and, and, and the work that I needed to invest in it. And I spent, I remember I went three months without seeing my family. I, you know, by that time I was 21 years old, I was drinking a, a case of beer a day. I was smoking, I was dipping. I was just trying anything and everything that I could to be relevant in my own world, even though there was nobody else besides me and the employees. And it felt like this gigantic failure, and, uh, and so a dairyman came in and said, Hey, you know what, this farm would be perfect for my operation. I would love to purchase this thing. And it was the ticket for us to get out of it before it torpedoed, uh, my dad's business. And, uh, and we walked away from Lordsburg, New Mexico, and and they walked away with enough money to be relevant. But at the same time, uh, it was probably one of the biggest opportunities in my life that I think I finally, you know, now able to just say, I screwed the pooch. Like I, I let that opportunity go. I moved back to Las Cruces, went back to work for the produce company. And at the time I went back to load trucks again, I'm now 21 years old. And, uh, and so I'm helping the forklift driver again. I'm staying in the office at night and I'm building trucks out and then I'm going to college. And as all of this is coming together, I just am thinking to myself, you know, why in the world did you let yourself get to a point where you had so many opportunities and you had the world as your oyster and you were about to just do so many amazing things. How in the world did you get back here? I was living in my parents' barn. I'm, I'm running now about 300 acres instead of 3,200 plus the 300. So instead of 3,500 acres, I'm back to 300 acres. I have zero money to my name. I've got a brand new truck payment. Uh, I've got a horrible tobacco <laughs> addiction and uh, and I'm going to school, a place that I did not want to go. And I'm sitting there thinking back on all of this stuff and I'm loading trucks one afternoon. And I remember just thinking, Jay, you've got to pull your head out of your ass and you've got to figure out what direction you're going to go, because if you don't do it pretty soon, life is going to pass you by. And and I'm having flashbacks of me sitting in a tractor, sandbox, tractor, tire, sandbox and just thinking to myself, man, this is this is not the spot that 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 six, seven, eight, ten year old was thinking that you were going to be. I remember the day pretty well. One of the guys that worked in the office that did the coordinating for all of the trucks that came into the off uh, that came into the produce shed to um, load had to go to a funeral, and um, and so the owner of the company walked out and he said, "Hey." I need you to be in tomorrow morning early. He said, so don't load trucks all night tonight. He's like, just print out the bill of ladings. Those guys can have them signed. And I want you to be in here in the morning at six and you're just going to answer the phone. And, uh, and I said, okay, that sounds good. And I got there that morning and I got there about five forty-five and sat down. And And I remember watching those guys, like I'd walk in the office and they, it was a tiny, tiny office and they, the the salesman and the coordinator sat behind a cubicle and they had these really funky looking headsets, you know, like we, you see truck drivers wear or whatever, like the, they weren't wireless, but all of their phone calls were off of these headsets. And I thought those are pretty funny. You know, I just remember they said, come in, sit down at this desk. This is what you say when you answer the phone. I said, okay, I can do that. So the first, the first guy that calls it's uh it's six Oh one, the phone rings and I pick up the phone, such and such produce. This is Jay. How can I help you? And it sounded like the guy came through the phone and grabbed me by the throat and was throwing me around in the office. He's like, I don't give a who you are. I need to talk to the boss, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, he's on another call. He said, you better hang up that phone in his ear right now, because if I don't talk to him right now, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to whoop your ass. And I thought, what in the world did I just sign up for? This is the first phone call that I'm going to get to take. And this guy is just making my ear hole bleed. Like what in the world is happening? So I put it on hold. I tell my boss who it is. He looks at me and smiles, picks up the phone, has a very cordial conversation. No elevated voice, no nothing sells the guy three or four loads of onions and then hands me a sheet of paper back across the desk. And I remember I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, is this the pink slip? Like what, What, what is he going to fire me for? I, I don't know what the guy was even saying. And it, and it was three loads and they had to go to New York and he says, I want you to find trucks for those. And I said, well, I, I, I don't understand how to find trucks. And he says, there is a Palm Pilot. And pick up that Palm Pilot and go through the truck contacts list and start calling. Just start at A and start calling your way down until you find a truck. I'm willing to pay $2.15 a bag to get that truck to New York. And I, I thought, okay, so I've got two. Actually, it was $2.50. And so I remember, okay, so I don't want to spend anything more than that, but I don't really know. The nice thing is, is I've been working on the dock and I remember how many onions we can put on what style of truck. So if it was a bull hauler in those days, because food safety was not the huge concern, I knew that we could put a thousand bags. If it was a flatbed, we could put 990 to 1020. If it, if it was a reefer, we could probably put 840 to 880, you know, and these are 50 pound bags and I'm sitting there in my head. So I kind of have an understanding of what I need to do there. And I start calling these guys, you know, no truck, no truck, no truck, no truck, no truck. And then finally one guy says, Hey, I've got a, I've got a flatbed there that, that's willing to go to New York. And he says, uh, how much are you paying? And I said, $2. And he goes two uh, he's like, ah, two bucks. Uh, and I don't know why I said $2. I don't know. Instantly my mind wasn't saying Let's, let's start low and see if we can broker. I was just hoping to get a truck to go underneath this. And he says, ah, he says, it's not going to work for me at that. He's like, but would you do it for two, two twenty-five? 25? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. He's like, cool. Truck will be there at four. Send me over the paperwork. I fax him over the paperwork. He confirmed. I slid the piece of paper back across to the boss and the boss looked at me and said, I told you two 50. And I said, I said, I know, but I got it cheaper. Is that Okay. And in the produce business, you can do that. You can, in any business, really. But if you can find your slice of heaven in the middle of that, that's where you make your money. And it was a light bulb instantly. The boss says, anything that you're going to do like that. And he says, I'll split whatever you make. And I'm like, you got it, man. So I start ripping through this. And I've got, I think that day, I mean, we were only loading five trucks max, maybe 10 trucks. A day. And, uh, and so I had to find four trucks that day. I found all four and I made, I made like 240 bucks a load doing that. And that was more, I was getting paid in those days. I was getting paid $4 and 15 cents an hour. And, uh, and I just remember going, Oh, that's money. I'm 21 years old and I just made more money in one day than I made in a week and a half, like two weeks. I, I I've got beer money. This is a pretty cool thing. So the next day I'm figuring I'm out Uh, and the boss calls and says, I want you back the same time. And we would like for you to start working on the freight. And that way it allows the other guy in the office to start working on local logistics because we were loading at multiple plants. And, and it's really hard because he would bring a truck to our plant to load a certain type of onion, but then we would have to move that truck to another facility. He would load and then he'd go to another facility and he would load and then, you had to ship him down the road and he might have one stop or he might have five stops. And so it was this logistics of getting those onions to who they needed to be at or where they needed to be at was grueling. So we started the transition and I started booking trucks and I just remember uh, that year flew by like, I mean, it was a rocket ship. I remember we finished the season and it was, it was the first week of September and um, that truck payment that I had I didn't have anymore because I made enough money in that summer that I paid off. And that was the first brand new pickup I'd ever bought the year before. And I just remember I'm going to have to give this back to the bank. And I remember, holy crap, I made enough money that I can pay this truck off at the end of the summer. And I, and I paid it off and it was this, Unbelievable experience and power and knowing that I was able to accomplish something, even though that I couldn't sit in a classroom and I couldn't keep my focus on the whiteboard when somebody was talking about it. But at the same time, I wanted to be a farmer and I wanted to do anything in my power to be a farmer. Maybe if I sacrificed a little bit of myself in something that I was really good at, it would give me the opportunity to become a farmer and time continued to progress. And I kept going to college for some unknown reason. And, uh, and the farm began to grow and the farm began to grow even more and more and more and more. And pretty soon, you know, we were farming about 850 acres and it's anything from pecan trees at that time to corn and lettuce, um, onions, alfalfa, uh, we, we're, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And so it's, it's now I'm getting to this fight in my life where I have to, I have to get done with work and I have to go home and I have to farm and I have to help my dad oversee the farm at the, at that time he was still working. And uh, actually at that time he'd bought a ranch and was more invested in the cows than, than he was in the farm. And I just remember thinking to myself, um, I'm going to have to make a decision down the road here. If, uh, if I am going to be a farmer, or if I'm going to be a rancher, or if I'm going to be a produce salesman. And that was the summer that I made a crap ton of money selling. Um, I was brokering trucks. I was selling onions and I looked at my bank account and I'm like, this is absolutely unbelievable. I, I am, I am on a rocket ship of success. There is no way you're going to pull me off of this sales desk. I am going to continue to do what I'm doing today And and I'm going to feel good about it. But at the same time, I had that little itch in the back of my skull that was saying, Jay, this is not what you were supposed to be doing. This is not who you are. You need to be on the farm. And so I started seeing that when one of the farmers would come by the office to talk about what was going on with the onion market, I found myself wanting to get in the truck with him. And I started letting that job go a little bit. I'm like, I'm just going to run out for 10 minutes. I'm just going to go look at his onions and just see what's going on. And, uh, and that was kind of like the first nail in the coffin for me inside the sales desk. And I, uh, I ran into the love of my life at a ping pong tournament, <clears throat> also known as a bar and, uh, and we got married. And when Katie and I got married, I was working, we were farming quite a bit of ground in, in those days. You know, we were farming close to a thousand acres and, uh, and then I was still working at the produce shed and I was making a very good income. Katie had a boatload of student loans and, uh, she was just going back to, she was just going to work, uh, in the dental world. And I just remember having a conversation with my brother-in-law and sister one night and, uh, and they said, you look miserable. How's y'all's marriage? And, uh, and I said, oh, our marriage is okay. I said, but my work life is not Okay. And I said, I feel like I'm being called to do something else. and um, But at the same time, I don't know where our next check would come from. And that discussion sitting there with my brother-in-law and sister led me to the point that uh, I finished out my summer there uh, with the potential to make 200 and some odd thousand dollars a year if I if I did work hard enough and if I continued to grow the brokerage. Uh, to me sitting down with dinner in the middle of the winter and saying, I don't think I'm going to be coming back next year. Um, I'm going to pursue my dream as a farmer. And, uh, and I remember reactions um, because it was not an ill wish that, that they gave me. But at the same time, it was, we know that you can't do that. That's not going to be a future for you. Uh, And it jogs my memory back to high school, not before high school, it was middle school. And I was walking from the bus stop home and and there was a gal that lived down the street. And, uh, and I said, I just can't wait to get back to the farm. I was just, you know, Gumby kid walking down the ditch bank. So excited to go back and, you know, start the tractor just because I knew how to start the tractor. And, and she told me, she says, well, you can't be a farmer. You don't have any animals and you don't have any property really. You, you're not going to be a farmer. So you need to get that out of your head. And, uh, And I remember having that same feeling after we had a discussion that I was not going back to work um, to sell produce anymore. And um, there's two ways that a person can go back in life and, and, and try to change the past. And one of those is positive to take the ideas, the struggle, the lessons that we've had in life and to build off of those failures. And if you build, if you continue to think about, okay, Not not to not to dwell on, but just to think and ponder back, Okay, I did this then and the outcome was this and I knew that wasn't the outcome that I wanted. So the next thing I need to do is I need to take the experience that I had and I need to transition that into something that is going to move me positively in the right direction. Or you can put your head straight up your butt and you can sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to do something to show those people that I'm better than they are that I can do it and I can make sure that when they see me at the coffee shop or if I drive by in my new truck, that they're going to be impressed at what I was able to do and they're going to be sorry that I'm not a part of who they are. And that was the mindset that I took the first year. I remember it the clear as day. I'm going to show these people that I am Jay and I'm going to do something that's absolutely unbelievable. And I tell you what, I have never failed so miserably in my entire life. We hit good markets, we made good money, and I lived like I was absolutely a vagabond living on the side of the road that was wearing burlap cloth and pouring ash on his head. I was miserable. Katie was miserable. Our marriage was not in good shape. And I'm sitting there saying, I finally did what my heart told me to do. And I don't understand why we can't get anywhere in life. I don't understand why we just continue to rack up debt. And at the same time, we're not making any money and I'm not feeling any contentment, contentment, contentfulness in my life. What are we doing here? Why am I doing this? I should have just stayed at the brokerage. And she said, you're farming for the wrong reason. You're farming because you want to be a farmer. And if you're going to do that to be a showboat farmer, if you're going to do this just so that people can look at your life and say, oh gosh, we wish we were like Jay. She says, then how in the world are you going to find inspiration? Instead of looking at other farmers and being like, wow, that person is amazing at what they do. I should actually take a step back, learn what they're doing and try to implement that in my life and make it my own journey After a year of living miserably, I changed the way that I thought I started doing me. And it was one of those things that it's like, when you start going to the gym, you don't see any kind of change in your life for the first couple of weeks. But then all of a sudden, the third week, the soreness is going away and your pants are fitting a little bit looser and you, you start to feel that encouragement. It was the same thing in our farm. I started to find some niche markets. I found a new market that was propelling us in the right direction. We started the wholesome Valley farms, brought in new people. I started to understand what success meant because we were doing what we were meant to do. I was being who Jay was meant to be. I was a nobody in social media land. I was a nobody in the farm world. And probably the only thing that I was in the farm world was the laughing stop because I was growing all of these random crops that nobody else knew anything about. At the same time, I was living the most fulfilled life that I could live because we were just doing what I was called to do. I continued that mission on and on and on. And I just remember we started to build the farm and we started to have these key components that came in. Jose Luis came in and wanted to build greenhouses with us. And he brought Elena. My brother Ross called one day and says, listen, I want to be a farmer, but I don't want to go to the bank and I don't want to worry about a paycheck. And I don't want to worry about my 401k, but I want to come back to the farm and I want to contribute the best way that I can, which is unbelievable mechanic minded. He said, I want to contribute to the farm, but I don't want to, have to worry about all of the the pressure that's going to come from that stuff. I want to worry about how the farm operates and how the efficiencies of, of working on this farm can operate. And so we brought Ross back. That was eight years ago, I think seven years ago. And lo and behold, we hit a pinnacle. We hit a peak again where the farm is doing really good. And, uh, and we'd gone through a, a couple of failed small businesses on the side and I'm sitting there trying to figure out where we're going to, what the next move is going to be. And somebody calls my dad and says, hey, over in Del City, there's a farm for lease on the New Mexico side of it. And it's like 3,800 acres. Would you be interested in, in leasing that farm? Dad asked me about it. And I said, well, there is no way in hell that I'm going to move over to Del City. But at the same time, Ross is kind of an isolationist. He likes to live out in the middle of nowhere. So maybe we'll go out there and see if that's a good fit for Ross. So Ross, dad, and I jump into a suburban and come out to Del City. And we get out here and uh, look at the farm. It hadn't been farmed in a long time. and and and. When it was farmed, it was farmed in a way that that uh, was not real conducive to a loss of topsoil. Uh, the, the whole farm had blown really bad and there was tumbleweeds and there was huge piles of sand and all the irrigation systems were in, in rough shape. To most people, I think they probably wouldn't have wanted to be a part of something like that. But to me, it started to, to excite me a little bit. And to my brother, he was like, yeah, he's like, we can remodel this house. I'll move the wife and kids out here. It'll be a great great thing. Uh, my plan was to continue to grow in Las Cruces. At that time we were servicing farmers markets. We had a restaurant distribution business. We were cleaning pinto beans and seed. We were growing carrots and onions and all of these wild things. I was making good, excuse me. I was making good money and I enjoyed my life. Uh, lo and behold, Katie comes down with a watermelon flu and our first daughter is on the way. And, um, I remember it Like it was yesterday, it was three weeks from the day that, that harvest entered this world, my daughter, and, uh, we were in Dell city talking and the guy that was in charge of setting up leases, um, says, Hey, have you met this guy named Danny? And, uh, I said, no, I said, what's, what's Danny's deal. And well, Danny is, is, uh, managing a farm, um, for the property owners and his job is to find somebody to lease that farm um, through, through multiple processes, bids and all kinds of crazy things, but he's a really good guy and he's looking for a farm manager. So I talked to Danny and, and Danny says, Hey, would you be interested in in being a farm manager? And I, I was intrigued by the opportunity, but at the same time, I didn't want to be a farm manager. And Danny really didn't want to just hire a farm manager. We drove him around and showed him what we were doing on our farm. And he said, you know what, why don't we partner on this? And, Uh, Like any smart business decision, it was made within about 30 minutes. Um, Not knowing Danny from a hole in the wall, uh, we became business partners and we continued to join all of our operations together and our farms together. And that leads me to coming out and looking at the bigger operation. And I remember I brought Katie out here because I didn't want to leave her alone my parents came out and we're driving around the farm and we're in the back of the, uh, Katie's in the back of the Tahoe and we stop at Cornudas to get us a world famous Cornudas cheeseburger, eat the burger. And we get five miles, uh, west of where we had stopped. And she goes, uh, my water broke. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean your water broke? And she's like, uh, oh, I'm going to need a towel. My water just broke. And, um, I remember we raced to the hospital And, uh, 12 hours later, our, our daughter Harvest was born three days later. I had Katie loaded up with a 29 foot camper behind my pickup and we were moving to Dell city, Texas. And, uh, we lived in that camper for four and a half months with a farting dog. Uh, and she really didn't have a choice in the matter and she didn't kick and scream. She just said, wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go with you. And, uh, and we came out here not understanding how to farm this style of farm But I knew that if I could surround myself with people that did, just like we had done at at Wholesome Valley, where we brought in people that were really good at what they were doing, we would be able to make this farm successful. Uh, That was four years ago, a month from now. And uh, it has been absolutely one of the most amazing rides that anybody could ever ask for. The fact that I have been surrounded by not only the guys that were here before I got here, but the new people that have come onto the farm. And we have continued to look at what is success in our eyes. And I'm understanding success now more than ever. Success is not measured in the way that you look at your bank account on your phone. Success is not in the way that you look at what kind of vehicle you drive, even though that is one thing that I always have a hard time saying no to is buying a new pickup. But success to me is being able to wake up in the morning and know that you're at the right spot in the right spot in the world. That you were called to do something that you're passionate about. And right now is the time that I was called to be a farmer in Dell City, Texas. Social media has blown up in the in the meantime. And, and right as I was coming over to Dell City, I was just finishing a term as a, as a U.S. Farm and Ranch uh, Alliance person And my job with that was to go around the country and talk to people about what's happening in agriculture and talk to people about what some of the big things in agriculture are as far as animal husbandry and the way that we take care of animals, the way that we apply crops, uh, additives to crops or pesticides, herbicides, GMOs, all of those kind of crazy things. And I started to get a bolstering of kind of who I was and what I wanted to do. And it lit another fire in me saying, I need to be the type of person that's not only going to farm. Because let's face it, I'm not a very good farmer. Like my grass is not the greenest. But at the same time, I've surrounded myself with people that are really, really good farmers. And they they make our grass greener. And so as I've seen that, my job might not be just being out there putting the seed in the ground. My job might be bringing those people in. At the same time, sharing the message of what we're doing in agriculture and letting people know that there's gigantic misconceptions in what happens. And I think it's absolutely imperative that as we continue to move forward in agriculture, that we do a better job of us actually letting people know what truly happens. Everybody says all the time, we need to get out and share your story more. The hell with sharing your story. Just share who you are. Don't try to paint a picture about what's supposed to happen on the American farm instead of let's start to think about ways that we can actually be ourselves in front of people and be comfortable with who we are. We live in a day in the age when people are so worried about offending somebody because they believe in a core value instead of actually just standing there and saying, this is what I believe in and this is the way it needs to go. We've gotten to a point in our relationships where we're going to sit here and try to paint a picture for people to say, look, at, if you don't agree with me, it's okay, we're going to do that. But at the same time, we have to figure out who our core identity is. Agriculture has lost its core identity. The reason that you see so many people that are growing all of these mass-produced crops is because we have allowed ourselves to get into a system that it makes it easy for us as farmers to do. If you're looking at a commodity crop and this pisses you off, I'm sorry. But at the same time, if you're worried about making money off of corn, soybeans, uh, cotton, milk, sugar, any of those kind of things. And you're sitting there saying, poor, poor, pitiful me. What have we done as farmers to make sure that we've gotten ourselves around and figured out how to direct market what we're doing? If we're going to wait on somebody to direct market what we're doing, we're not doing it right. And so my journey into agriculture is starting to identify who I am and what I want to stand for. I don't want to be a commodity farmer. I don't want to sit here and worry and pray for a hailstorm to come take out my cotton crop so that way I can survive next year. I want my cotton crop to go into a pair of socks that one of the guys that are standing here in front of me are wearing and saying, man, it's cool. Cause I know exactly where these socks came from. I don't want to sit here and say, it's good to be a farmer when we're going to sit and bitch and moan the entire time about not understanding which way we need to head in agriculture. My job is to be a farmer, but my job more than that is to be a good husband, a good father, a great leader and do everything in my power to empower the American farmer by saying, listen, If you're going to make a true difference in this world, then you're going to have to do it by being a leader. You're going to have to worry about those days when you're 21 years old and you've failed on the biggest opportunity in your life. You are going to have to be able to pick up your bootstraps and understand if I've already gone bankrupt or if I'm going bankrupt, it's not the end of the world. The fact is my dad almost filed bankruptcy and was at the point of bankruptcy at 43. And I guarantee you when he dies, he's not going to be anywhere close to that. So for us in agriculture to sit here and look at that and say, Jay, your life story has been really unique. And, you know, it's been very privileged in the fact that you were able to get around all of these things. That's not the ending point. The ending point is this. If we don't step outside the box, if we don't do a better job about farming, about marketing, and about sharing who we are personally, then we're not going to get anywhere. And I know that sounds like a crazy off the wall rant, but at the same time, Look at what's happened during COVID and as things in the supply chain have completely come to a standstill and have completely broken. It's because of us. It is because we have not taken control of our own destiny and we've let somebody else do that. The same day that I left brokering onions is the same day I made it a point to myself that I was not going to let somebody else dictate exactly how I was going to get paid to some extent that does happen. I'm not perfect and I can't market everything But my goal and drive is this, that if we're going to produce something in America, that we are going to grow it and we're going to produce it and we're going to know where it's going to go and we have control of it. It's not too much to ask. It's just going to take a little bit more elbow grease from all of us. My story in agriculture is always going to be a constant evolution. The people that I get to work around are a constant evolution. And my theories on life and my theories on why I'm here and what I'm doing are going to continually change. But at the same time, I know what my core is here. I'm not here just to grow food and fiber and animal feed. My job is to share my story. My job is to share your story. And my job is to show the world what we in agriculture are able to do. That might involve politics. It might involve religion. It might not agree. It might involve not agreeing with what you think or you not agreeing with what I think. But at the same time, if we can find something out here in the middle, I guarantee you that we have a bright spot in the future of American agriculture. And with that, the story will continue on. But for today, I bid you adieu. Thanks for listening to out here in the middle podcast. If you guys want to learn more about me, if you want to know more about this unbelievable team at Chaffee, a uh, wholesome Valley farms, Hill farms, you can go to Instagram and look up Hill J 45, or you can go and look up Chaffee on Facebook or com, And actually Instagram, Tom, Bien. Uh, but go check us out. Leave us a comment. If there's something that I said that riles you up and you don't understand it, reach out, talk to me at the same time. If there's something that you think needs to be said about American agriculture or somebody that we need to listen to, listen to get them out here. We're willing to bring it out. We're willing to have that tough conversation. And with that, I'll tell you, God bless. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.